Amen. It's my joy to be here with you today. I want you to know I love this house. I love God's house, but I love this house. I love your pastors. You got great pastors. You're, you're a great family. You're a, you're a great family, and it's my privilege to be here today. I didn't come here to get out of town. I love my church. I love my wife. I didn't come here to get an honorarium. I came here to bring an impartation of God's Word that I'm hoping will change your life, that will be good for you. I want to give you my best today. I don't know how for sure the first service went. I really don't. But I want to do better in the second service. I want to ask you if you would give me your best ear, your best open heart, and I'll do my very best to bring God's Word. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, would you anoint me with a fresh oil to preach your Word? May I say things that you want me to say and not say things you don't care for me to say. May people have hearts that are open, ears that will hear, hearts to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you today about giving God your best. The Christian life is an exchange with the greatest giver of all time. The greatest giver you'll ever encounter, you're going to exchange with. There's the old saying, you cannot give God. It's not just a saying, you cannot give God. It's an exchange. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. How do you describe to somebody the gift that God's given for us? How many of you like a good deal? I know you all like a good deal. That's why you cut out coupons, and that's why you go out bargain hunting. That's why people garage sale and dicker for the price. Everybody likes a good deal. I want to show you the greatest deal in the world right here. I want to show you three great exchanges, the greatest exchanges of all time. Great exchange number one, Jesus Christ became our sin so that we might become his righteousness. How many know that's a good deal? That's a good deal. I bring my sin, and before I do one good thing, Jesus Christ gives me his righteousness. We give Jesus our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. Is that scriptural? Yes, it is. First, Second Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. See, Jesus didn't sin. He became my sin on the cross. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become his righteousness, the righteousness of God in him. Gift exchange number two. Jesus took our sickness and he gives us his healing. We give Jesus our sickness. He gives us his healing. 1 Peter 2, 24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Gift exchange number three. Jesus Christ took our poverty, gives us his riches. So the third exchange is this. We give Jesus our poverty, and he gives us his abundant 
resources. He gives us, I'm going to give you a Bible word. Don't be afraid of this Bible word. He gives us his prosperity. What does that mean? It means I have more than enough. I was talking to some people. I said, you know, if you were to come to my home, you might say, wow, I thought you'd be more prosperous than this. You know what? I am prosperous. I own my home. I love living there. All my bills are paid. I might not drive a new automobile. I own that automobile. I have more than enough. Every meal at my house, we would have enough for you to be there. One of you. Not buddy. One of you. If I want to say, honey, instead of cooking dinner tonight, let's have pizza. I can do that. I am a blessed man. I am prosperous. Jesus Christ gave that to me. Amen? You know of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake at the cross, he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. All of us here that are Christians, we start by making that exchange with God. If you're a Christian, you've made that exchange with God. If you're a Christian, you've given him your sin. He's given you and made you righteous. But it can't stop there. It doesn't end there. It can't because God then continues to give us his best. He didn't just give us his best one time. He continues to give us his best. I love this verse. I told the the first service. I'm in the back of a pickup in South Dakota going out to hunt pheasants on a beautiful morning. Sitting in these little bench seats in the back of a truck. It's cold, but it's beautiful. And there was a bunch of guys that weren't Christians and one other guy with me that were Christians. And the other guy started saying, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. And then I joined with him. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God's good. We sang about it. Johnny talked about it. God is good, folks. God doesn't withhold any good thing. He gives and gives and gives and continues to give, and he always gives us his very best. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 37.4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Or it could be said, make the Lord your delight. Those of you that know me know I have a lot of loves. I forgot one, the first service. I actually love Thomas. I love MMA. And so does my wife. Your wife? Yeah, we record all the fights. I love it. I love the Seahawks. Hey, now let's try this one on. I love the Huskies. Oh, wow, there we go. Come on, come on, Glenn. I love the Huskies. I love the Mariners. I love to hunt. I'm like a good old hound dog. I'd rather hunt than eat than eat what I hunt. I love to golf. I'm a junkie. I go to these meetings. I say, hi, I'm Rick. I golf. I got, a good, I got advice for you. Don't take your first hit. I love life. I love these things. But none of those things are my delight. My delight is in the Lord. The Lord is my delight. 
I believe God will let you have anything you want as long as that doesn't have you. You can have your sports. You can have your business. You can have your fancy yards. You can have your boat. You can have all those things until those things have you. And then my Bible tells me, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he'll give you the desire of your heart. You know what I've, I've found? God knows you so intimately and personally. He'll give you what the desire of your heart. What my wife, one time, honey, what do you want? Well, I want a new wheelbarrow. I want a weed eater. No, honey, I can't buy you a weed eater for Christmas. Well, that's what I want. See, my wife would like to find something at a, a garage sale or an antique store. And I'm thinking, that's not what I want. And God would say, well, I'm not, I'm not blessing you right now. I'm blessing your wife. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that God knows you so intimately that if you'll make him your delight, he will then give you the desires of your heart. That's good news, folks, by the way. If you consent and obey, the next verse, Isaiah 119, if you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. I'll never forget somebody, I was giving a testimony, the guy said, you better watch out. You're going to start expecting God to do that. Uh, duh. You know, I'm like, you think? You know, you, you go next door and your neighbor's planting a garden. You go, hey, watch out, watch out. You keep planting that garden, you're going to expect to get beans. You might even get enough zucchini, you have to lock your doors at church so nobody puts it in there. Well, of course you expect to have that because when you sow, you reap. And I'm here to tell you, God gives his kids the best if we put him first. We always taught our kids, we're going to go to church, we're going to give our best. Then we're going to go camping. God's going to bless it. And I can remember times we go and there'd be a Monday where it's a holiday and we're thinking there's no way we're going to get a place. I said, let's just give God our best. And I can remember driving up there and there's people parked along the roads that's so packed up there where we want to go. Driving up and there, it'd been sprinkling a little bit and there was a dry spot where somebody had just pulled out. And it was a spot we would have taken if we were the only people there. And I'd say, see kids, that's what happens when you put God first. And you know what? I could stay here and use my whole, all my time just telling you story after story after story of that very thing. Because God didn't stop giving his best after the cross. Our response should be, God, because you always give me your best, I want to give you my best in exchange. You see, God gave us his very best. He gave us his life. His very life. So we don't exchange with God just our Sunday mornings. I've had people say, well, you'll be lucky if you see me on Sunday. I go, really? With that attitude, we'd be lucky if we don't see you on Sunday. Lucky for who? You know, I either go to heaven or God's going to lose a good man. A humble one, too. Listen, God didn't exchange with you to get your Sunday mornings. He didn't exchange with you to get your tithes. He didn't exchange for you to maybe come out once a month on a Wednesday night. He gave his life to get your life and the best of it. Is it scriptural? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. You know, the Bible tells us you've been bought with a price. 
You're no longer your own. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We now live for him because he died for us. Amen? You see, now that we've been made righteous, now that we've been given God's healing, now that we've been empowered to prosper, God now must have first place. I met somebody that was here for the first time last week. And I said, you be sure and come back the next time I'm here. And they liked what I'm about to tell you. You might not like this, but they liked it. Because I believe this. Watch this here. Through the scripture, Colossians 1.18. He is also head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. This is Jesus. The firstborn from the dead. So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. What does everything mean? It means everything. What does it mean when he says first place in everything? What does that mean? It means it means in everything, in every area of your life. See, I believe these next two little slogans I'm going to give you. I believe that Jesus will have first place in your life or he'll have no place. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> hey, he died for your sins. He gave his son to come here and die for you and took your sin and gave you his righteousness. And you're saying that's not fair? He's asking one thing, first place. And if he doesn't have first place, he's not going to take second place. Just like your wife, Pastor Steve. Just like my wife. How many wives want to be second lady in the house? Well, he's a good provider, though. Who wants that? How many wives want that? Oh, you really do? No, I can't believe it. Nobody would take that deal. Jesus wants to be first place. He won't be second place. Look at this other one. He'll be Lord of all in your life, or he won't be Lord at all. And I believe that with all my heart. If you don't believe that, what do you do with scriptures like Matthew 10, 37 through 39, where it says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He says, he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow, that's hard. I didn't write it. Jesus said it. I'm called to preach it. He earned it. None of you, as much as I love Pastor Steve, as much as I love my wife, as much as I love my kids, none of them took my sin in their body on the cross. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He who does not take his cross, your cross isn't my cross. We each have to take our own cross and follow after him. He says, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life or he who tries to keep his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. We must give God our best. And you know, I want you to get this today. Your best, not somebody else's best. Let me tell you what the problem is with comparing yourself with somebody else. The Bible says it's not wise to compare yourself among yourselves. If I compare myself with somebody that's not as good as me, I am elevated in pride. That's not good. 
If I compare myself with Robert Morris, who preaches the blessed life, I'm going to quit preaching because I'll never feel as good. Neither one of them are wise. You just give your best. Your best is your best, not somebody else's best. Let me show you this in the scriptures. I know you know the scripture. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. It says it's just about like a man. He's about to go on a journey. And he called his own slaves and entrusted, get this, his possessions to them. And for maybe a hundred times of reading this passage, it wasn't until Friday when I was boning up for coming here that I saw the word, he gave them his possessions. It came from him. And I thought of what Martin Luther said, not that I met him, but Martin Luther said this, we cannot give God anything for everything's already his. All we have comes from him. And all of a sudden, I put this parable in a whole new light. God, the master, said, I'm going to give you my possessions. And to one he gave five talents, another two, another one, each according to his own ability. It's a whole other message. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I've gained two more talents. I don't want you to see what the master said to him. The master said to him the exact same thing word for word that he said to the man who had produced five talents. If they would have had copy and paste in that day when they wrote this, they could have just hit control C and control V and not typed it out again. <laughs> he said the exact same thing. He said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The guy with the two talents, God didn't expect five back. He did his best with what he had. But the guy with five talents, if he would have bought two or even three, wouldn't have been his best. And God wouldn't have been pleased. Are you getting it? Well, the one who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I know you to be a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I did not that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, to anyone who has, shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, 
Even what he does have shall be taken away and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the last man felt because he had been given so little that it wouldn't matter to the master if he did nothing. This is my philosophy. People say, I can't make a big difference. Then make a little difference. But let's make a difference. It reminds me of the guy that these starfish were washed up with a wave and they were going to die. And a kid ran out there and began to grab them and throw them out in the ocean, one after another, and throw them in the ocean. A man laughed at him and says, ha, with these thousands of starfish, do you really think you can make a difference? And he picked one up and says, I'll make a difference with this one. And that's the way our lives need to be lived. We just give our best right where we are. Let me tell you, it does matter to God. He wants us to be faithful with whatever we've been given and with whatever opportunity we've been given to use that with. Are you getting what I'm saying? I want to be sure we're communicating. In the areas of financial giving, it has never been, it isn't, and it never will be the amount that matters to God. I want you to get that. It has nothing to do with the amount. It is, it always has been, and always will be, be based on what you have available to work with. I want to point out to you when Jesus was going to feed 5,000 men, in Mark 6, 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? And I believe that if they would have said, Jesus, we only have half a loaf because Peter got into that kid's lunch. And, well, what about fish? Well, we got partial fish. Your John was eating on the fish. If they just brought him what they had, he was still going to feed the 5,000 men. It didn't have anything to do with how many fish and how many loaves. It was simply saying, this is what we have. And Jesus said, if that's what you have, that's what I'm going to work with, and I'm going to do a miracle. I'll tell you why I believe that. Because when he fed 4,000 men in Mark 8, 5, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. He had less loaves to feed 5,000 men than he had to feed 4,000 men. It didn't matter. They just gave what they had. And then Mark 8, he, he sums it up and says, 19 and 20, do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. See, it didn't have anything to do with what they brought. They just simply did the best of what they had. 2 Corinthians 8, 12 says, if the readiness is present, it's acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. Luke 12, 48 says, for everyone who has been given much, much shall be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Listen, God knows what you've been given to work with. When you say, God, I don't have very much, God knows that. Well, God, I didn't have a chance to get a, a, a formal education. God knows that. Well, God, I grew up in a God knows all those things. He's just asking you to give him what you have. 
God knows what you have to work with along with the opportunity you've had to operate in that. And that's what you're going to be accountable for. And he's never going to compare your best with somebody else's best. Look at this here. He does not accept inferior gifts from those who have much. And neither does he expect from his people gifts, services, or anything they do not possess. And I'm going to come down as I close in this, and it's not just in a minute, just in a couple minutes here. I want to really bear my heart. Last night at the Champions Banquet, some might have thought, you know, I can't raise my thing and bid $1,000. You think God's saying, oh, you're, you're not very valuable in my house. No, God's saying, can you give 10? Is that a sacrifice for you? Then you give 10. It may even be a bigger sacrifice than the, thing to get, the guy that gives 1,000, but he could have gave 10,000. Which one was your best? Do you understand what I'm saying today? God, God sent me here today, I believe, with all my heart to share this with you. There were times in my life where if I would have given $20 during the early 80s, during the spotted owl thing, I was working in the sawmill industry. We didn't have $20. Literally. I'd go into the break room at the mill, and I'd want to have something to buy a drink out of the machine. And I wouldn't put a dollar in there because I knew if I broke the dollar, I'd end up spending the whole dollar. At that time in my life, $20 would have been a huge sacrifice. God was blessed with $20. At another time in my life, I could have blessed, and I have many people with $1,000 gifts to individuals to bless their ministry or bless what they do. Was God more impressed with $1,000? Thank you, buddy, because that's the answer. Maybe other people are afraid to answer it, but the answer is no. He wasn't impressed because all he wanted from me was my best. I know of times where, as a church, Dennis Balcom wanted to buy Bibles for China, and Lord laid on my heart to write him a $10,000 check. It didn't hurt a bit. didn't even feel it. It, wasn't, it, it. it was no more impressive to God than to me to write a $1,000 check today because simply it was my best. And that's all God wanted was, was my best. And neither one of those offerings were more or less impressive to God because God just wants our best. The last scripture here, Proverbs 21.2, is just every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Something I've done all my life is I weigh what I would do if it was the house of God, something for the Lord versus something else I like to do. I'll give you an example. People, where, where are people? Well, there's an inch of snow out here. Okay. Would they go to work? If you're going skiing and it snows, you go, hallelujah, we got snow. If you're going hunting and, and it's snowing, you go, all right, we're going to see tracks. We'll track them. It's snowing. Oh, church? Ah, we'll stay home. And all you said is, my best belongs skiing, my best belongs hunting, but if it's dry and warm and I don't have anything else to do, I'll be in church. And for over 30 years, I weigh everything I do. If I'm not feeling well, I say, would you still go golfing? Yeah. Then get to church. Serve in the house of the Lord. You see, on Saturday nights, for years, I... People say, you want to play cards Saturday night? No, I'll play cards with you Friday night. 
I'll play with you on Sunday night. But on Saturday night, my wife and I try to get to bed at a decent time. I want my best for Sunday morning. I want my best for the house of the Lord. So many people are so burnt out, they can hardly make it on Sunday because they've given their best to the world, not their best to the Lord. And if you're thinking this is legalistic, you're missing the whole point. I'm one of the least legalistic guys you're ever going to meet. I just want my best for God. I hear about pastors that ask their churches to, to um, evaluate them. You know what my heart is? I'm going to give you my very, very best, and if that's not good enough, it's all I've got. I hear people say, man, my pastor, my wife lets me know that was good or that wasn't good, and she's my best critic, and on the way home, I'm going to hear about it. Let me say something about my wife. My wife never, ever, ever, ever does that. If I say something stupid, she'll say, don't say that anymore, Rick. Don't use that word from the pulpit. <laughs> well, we need to hear that. But my wife never criticizes my ministry, and I'll tell you why. She knows I'm giving my best. And if I give you my best and you don't like it, you got to know I did the best I could do. I only promise you one thing when I come here. I'm not going to give you leftovers. I'm going to come and I'm going to give my very, very best I have. And if that's not good enough, it's, that's my best. I invited a guy one time years ago when I was in my... 20s, I was working on a sawmill, and they were going to have something at Bible Temple. They were going to have a thing called Men of Valor for men, and I'm about an hour north of Portland, and I asked this guy, let's go to that on, Friday, on Saturday morning. It'd be good for us. And we worked swing shift. We were going to get off late and get home late to bed. And I said, let's go. And he goes, you know what time I'm going to get to bed Friday night? There's no way I'm going to be down there at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. So I said, the guy was a huge softball player. I said, Dale, if it was a softball tournament in Portland, would you be there or would you be in bed? He told me later, he says, you hurt me. You hit me too hard with that one. Because the answer was he would have been there for a softball tournament if it was 7 in the morning. And all it's saying is your best is for softball. It's not for growing up in Jesus. And it's not legalistic at all. It's simply saying... My best belongs to the Lord. You say, well, God knows my heart. You're right. He does know your heart. He knows where your best is. And I just want to close with this question. Could all of us ask ourselves this question? I can only do it for me. I'm going to tell you, I can't even do this for my wife. I can't bring her sacrifice. I can't bring her best. I can only bring my best. If we would all just ask ourselves this question. If everybody prayed for our pastors the way you pray for the pastors, are they getting prayed for? Some of you, the answer might be they're not getting prayed for at all, and others might say, man, they're, they're soaked in it. If everybody worshiped, and I'm not talking how good you sing. Sister Kim, you sing like nobody's business. I didn't even realize how good a voice you have. I'm not talking about a good voice. But if everybody came and worshiped the way you worship, what kind of worshiping church would you have? If everybody came with, with the same attitude that you come with, somebody said, you'll be lucky if you see me on Sunday morning. I said, lucky? Maybe we'll be lucky if we don't see you. Lucky for who? What kind of attitude is that? If everybody came with your attitude, what type of service would you have? If everybody gave 
the way you give? What could you do as a church? And the answer for some is you wouldn't even have lights. That's true. The answer for others, you wouldn't have to have a banquet to, to support Circle Youth Ministries. All you need to do is just bring your best. And if you'll just ask yourself those questions, if everybody served the way I serve, if everybody was kind the way I'm kind, if everybody gave the way I gave, if everybody just does their best, God's not asking for anything else from you. He knows what you have and he knows what you don't have. He just says, if you'll bring your best, I'll bless all the rest. My prayer is that you receive this word today, not as a legalistic word, but as a word to encourage you a way to tap in, to exchange him with the greatest giver you're ever going to know. The greatest giver of all time, Jesus Christ, who always gives us his best. And when we delight ourselves in him, he gives us the desires of our heart, and we win every time. Amen. It's been a pleasure to be with you here today. Thank you for having me.